Welcome to Head to Toe, stories from the history and future of healthcare. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Head to Toe. I'm your show host, Marie McMillan. This is a career profile episode, and I was very lucky to get to spend some time talking with Eileen Anderson. She is a retired ICU nurse just as of last fall with nearly 40 years of nursing experience under her belt, so retirement well-deserved. Eileen is also a Reiki practitioner and has been practicing that on both her patients in the intensive care unit and in the inpatient setting and now in the community. I have to apologize to listeners. I know I said I would have an episode out in February, but it just didn't pan out that way. But that's okay. Onward. You're going to have to uh, forgive a little bit of the nasally awesomeness in my voice right now because I'm fighting a really rather nasty cold virus. I made it all the way through flu season without getting sick and then, you know, went on vacation and airplanes are just flying petri dishes, basically. So wash your hands, people. It's not fun to be sick. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this lovely interview with Eileen Anderson. Okay, here I am. Okay, we are Eileen. in. We are in business. Thank you, Eileen. Yes, thank you. Welcome to Head to Toe. I'm very excited to speak with you. And I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, we'll get started off with uh, the first question here. Um, it's a kind of a threefold question. Where did you go to school? What year did you finish training? And how long have you been in the field? Well, I went to Alfred University in the western part of New York, you know, state. And I've been a nurse for 39 and a half years. I graduated in 1978, and I just retired in October 17th of 2017. Fantastic. And what kinds of nursing work had you done over your long career? Okay. I started as a med surge nurse at Roosevelt Hospital in New York. It was a med surge floor. I was there a year. And then I, you know, took another job at a community hospital, which was five minutes from my home, Good Samaritan Hospital in Suffren. And I did med surge over there, ICU over there, CCU over there. I did um, casual status. And then when I got married, I moved to Connecticut. And here I've been since 1985, Yale New Haven Hospital, coronary care nursing. And I've been in the CICU that whole time. Fantastic. So long time critical care nurse. Right. I would say, you know, since 1983, I've been a critical care nurse. Wow. And you've probably seen it change massively over time. Oh, definitely. You know, loads of changes. And um, I also did school nursing. You know, I, in 1995, the school nurse at my, you know, my son's and daughter's school asked me if I would substitute for nurse, you know, as a school nurse. And I was at the Wallingford School System for 12 years. Uh, I also worked at Chote Rosemary Hall in their um, help center for nine years. I quit Chote in uh, March of 2017. And I do Reiki. I'm a Reiki practitioner. I started that in 1999 on the critical care unit. You know, one of my coworkers was a Reiki master. And for those of you who don't know out there, Reiki is a vibrational healing practice done by light touch. It stimulates, you know, the resting system of the body. 
causing the body to relax and heal. And my coworker, who was a teacher of Reiki, wanted to have, uh, you know, to create a very calm and resting and healing, you know, situation in the coronary care unit. So she taught four of us to be Reiki practitioners. So also since 1999, I had been a Reiki practitioner within Yale. Wow. And you guys, you did that concurrently with your nursing job or it was? Yes, I did. Okay. So it was your own patients, like? Yeah, I did it with my own patients. Um, Sometimes I'd be called to, you know, give a patient a Reiki treatment on another floor while somebody, you know, covered my patients. Sometimes after my shift was done, I would give a, you know, Reiki treatment. And um, in 2015, when I went casual status, I opened up, you know, a practice where I was taking paying clients at a chiropractor in Orange, Connecticut, which is a town about 20 minutes away. Um, In 2016, I opened up Reiki at um, the senior center in Wallingford, which I'm still there one day a week. And very recently, I've started, you know, giving Reiki at the Y in Wallingford since I retired. Wow. Long, long time of helping people. Eileen, you're a wonderful person. (laughs) Well, I try to be, but... (laughs) (laughs) What was uh, nursing and medical practice like when you first started out, and how have you seen it change over the years of your career? Oh, God. Well, when I first started out, you know, on the med surge floor... The patients that we had overnight for, you know, you know, procedures like hernia, DNC, are are now day surgery. A lot of the tests, like um, a GI series, a sonogram, patients would be admitted to the hospital then because that was the only way insurance would cover it. Now those are in and out and office visits. That's the first thing. The patient. I take care of now would have been dead years ago. Our patients are much sicker. Towards the end, they were on all kinds of technology, you know, continuous dialysis, mm-hmm. freezing their body, you know, arctic sun. Therapeutic hypothermia, for those of you out there who are familiar with right, that practice. Exactly, right, exactly, yeah. Basically, when I started in coronary care, the cath labs were not open 24 hours, so if somebody had a heart attack on the weekend or an MI on the weekend, we'd treat them with nitro and glycerin drip and heparin drip and let them infarct until, you know, the cath lab opened on Monday. That has caused a lot of people, you know, within a number of years, end up with heart failure, which, you know, is kind of like the aging process, too. Right. You know, that happens a lot of the patients, like I said, are really dead and we're keeping them alive with technology. You know, just because something there's new technology doesn't mean that someone should have it. I agree. You're not the, the first retired nurse I've talked to has said we, we don't let people die anymore. No, that's a very true thing. And one thing I'm seeing now, which is a good thing, is more hospice, more palliative care. But another problem you see now that you didn't see as much earlier is families. Families, you know, at Yale, we were, you know, priding ourselves with family-centered care. You had, I come from the days in ICU where you had only a family 
you know, in mem- two family members in for 10 minutes at a time for an hour. You did not let them sit by the bedside 24-7. Now they're allowed to do that. A lot of times, sometimes they're very good, don't get me wrong, and sometimes very helpful, but a lot of times they're interfering with care. They're taking up your time when you can be taking care of a patient and, you know, they're not taking care of themselves. And by letting families in the room for 24 hours, we're encouraging families not to take care of themselves. No, I agree. They're not getting home. They're not getting sleep. And that's what they need because once this, you know, their loved one survives, they're going to need to have use their strength to, you know, care for them and to help them. Absolutely. Yeah, I like to tell my patients' families that, too, because a lot of times, you know, they're most critical in the ICU, of course, you know, the, you know, spouse and, you know, kids or parents, they, they want to be there and like in case something terrible goes wrong, but something terrible has already gone wrong. And, you know, I like to tell my patients, you know, it, I'm an expensive babysitter, okay? I will call you. If, oh, that's a good one. You know, <laughs> I saw one of my co- one of my colleagues told me that one. I'm an expensive babysitter. Like, try to now is your time to go home and take a nap and sleep and shower because once they're awake and once they need to go to rehab floor, that's when they're going to need the cheerleader for sure. So I tr- I try to use that line, but I think you're right, and I agree that most patients' families they're some are wonderful and they're helpful and they help calm the patient down and they're able to give medical information. They're and they're compliant and they're completely you know, polite and wonderful, but there are patients, families out there that you're spending more time taking care of them than the patient. And that's, that's an unbalanced, you know, patient, you know, family centered care model. And I, I agree. I think that sometimes ICU nurses get frustrated by that. Right. In fact, I ran into my boss, you know, my last boss at the local library and she was telling me how she had to send a family member home because they had the flu. Yeah, and the family member was a bit upset, but, you know, you can't let them, you know, contaminate everybody. I have I have this theory, and you're a perfect question. You're a perfect person to sort of bounce this off of, and this is like outside the realm of our questions, but it's this theory I've been working on in my head that Americans in personal crisis have gotten uglier over the last 40 years. Would you agree or disagree? I would agree, yes, yeah. Um, well, the thing is, a lot of it is insurance. A lot of it is suing. People, you know, complain about, you know, how much it costs to go to the doctor. But then again, look at how the malpractice is. You know, look at how expensive that is. And then documentation. You know, yes, it's the documentation is incredibly time-consuming. You're spending more time on the computer than, you know, with the patient. But then again, when something's pulled into court, you got to be able to prove that. That's true. Mm-hmm. How has your career affected your life outside of it, your personal life? Well, you want to know something? I didn't let it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> Not too much. Um, I was lucky, luckier than most people, because the you know I work three twelve-hour shifts, and I'm Jewish. I, I don't have to worry about Christmas off or Easter off. So I worked all those holidays with, you know, made my coworkers very happy, but I did like my New Year's off. I worked with the most fabulous nurse managers at Yale, and we had a very, very good assistant nurse manager that bent over 
backwards for everybody. And I always got off what I needed. What made you become a nurse in the first place? Actually, when I was a teenager, I think 13 or 14, the end thing to do was candy striping. And that was at the local hospital where I did work five years, Good Samaritan. And um, it was the thing to do. I wasn't thinking about nursing, but all my friends were doing it. So why not? So I started that, and then I decided I was going to be a nurse. And that was that. And that was that. And that's all you did for 39 years? Well, plus the Reiki, which is Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And the Reiki. And, you know, there was a time when I thought I would not, you know, be a nurse and maybe go into nutrition. But I decided to keep with the nursing. And there was a time when I thought of, you know, getting a master's in environmental education because I loved the outdoors. But then when I spoke to other people, and this was back in the early 80s, they were not making the money in it. That's a great segue into my next question, which is, um, you know, what has kept you in this field for 39 years, which you kind of alluded to with great management, great units, great coworkers. That was it. That was it. Yeah. No, it's also the who you work with, the management. Do you get the time off for your, you know, life outside of nursing? You know, that's the important thing. Who you work with can make your day. With all of your experience and what kept you in that field for so long, what do you imagine nursing and the medical profession will be like in the future? Well, this is what's happening now. A lot of, um, you know, when I worked at the boarding school, a lot of, I met up with a lot of, you know, young ladies who were, who had degrees in other areas like biology, language, that decided they would be a nurse practitioner. So they were going to this three-year program at Yale. And in three years, you got your RN, your master's, and your APRN. And that's what a lot of people are doing now. A lot of my young coworkers, they're not staying, you know, in the ICU and at the bedside until they retire like I did. They're going into things like nurse anesthesis, APRN. Many of them go for their master's. They go into education. They go into nurse management. You know, they go into management. They go into public health. But I think it's going to be too hard to be at the bedside. Patients are going to be too sick. Also, another thing is Google. You um, get families that come to the bedside. They've Googled everything, you know, the conditions and everything. And they're in there asking the nurses about this. And we try to tell them that every situation is different. So that's what I think is going to make it harder in the years to come. I even had a patient who downloaded the whole um, continuous dialysis machine on her phone. <laughs> you know, patient family. Yeah. Sorry, that's I, that's a new one for me. I haven't seen that happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, one of my um, coworkers, her twin daughters just graduated nursing school. Or actually, you know, one of them was telling me she was studying for her boards. And this is something that would have been unheard of in my days. And one of the questions was, a patient, a family member comes to you with all the information that they learned on Google. How would you relate to them? I forgot what the choices were, but... That was a board question? That was a board. That was a... I don't know if they went on the boards, but that was, you know, how they have those... Um, the practice that tests. Can yeah. The PCRN and the board. She said that was one of the board questions, <laughs> one of the practice questions. Oh, my God. Well, at least they're preparing them. <laughs> right. See, one of the questions on my boards was, how do you treat poison ivy? Ooh, I don't even and that know was that. back in 1978. 
I don't, I don't know. What, how do you treat poison ivy? Well, with calamine lotion, if it's very serious, you know, the doctor has to order some steroids. The reason I know that is because I worked in a boarding school. Can you think of a story about a patient, a family, a doctor, or a coworker that has left a lasting impression on you? Um, there's loads of them, so that would be hard to, you know, think of. But um, basically, you know, I had one, you know, that, you know, he was an alcoholic. And he had been an alcoholic for many, 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 many years, but had been able to, you know, function with it. You wouldn't have known if you met him, according to his wife. And he had a heart attack and an angioplasty. And, of course, he was off his alcohol. So he um, came in, had the angioplasty, and his wife was coming and his son with the clothes. They were going to take him home. And during the night, he went into DTs, where he had to be tied down. He had to be intubated. And when I got report that morning, here was the wife, you know, and the son waiting outside to take him home. And I said, do they know about this? And you don't want them to come in and see him incoherent, tied up, intubated. So the nurse that gave me report said, no, they didn't. So before they came in, I said to, you know, thankfully they called in. And before they came in, I said to my secretary, until I talked to them. So I told them what they were going to find. I said, his heart is fine, but this is what you're going to see. You're going to see him incoherent, tied, all four-point restraints, and intubated. So they came in, and it took him a long time to um, get through that. It took about two weeks. He developed pneumonia during that and everything. And I was his primary nurse. And this family always appreciated me. A few months later, he was in the hospital on the step-down unit for something else. I, you know, I think he had another angioplasty. I can't remember what it was. And I went to visit him. And I said, you probably don't remember me from your last you know, hospital visit. And he goes, yes, I remember you saying, hi. I'm your nurse today and telling me everything I was, you were going to do, even when I was on the respirator. You know, so sometimes when somebody's intubated, sedated, they can hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's a good reminder for sure. The, and it doesn't happen very often where we get to speak with our patients, you know, when they get better and they're outside of the ICU. Those are always fun stories I like to hear. Right, and I even have a Reiki story, you know, it's actually her husband was one of our heart transplant patients, and he was not doing well. He was a 48-year-old man, mm. doing very poorly. He was end-stage heart failure. We'd have to put him maxed out on dibutamine, maxed out on melrinone, and I was always giving him Reiki treatments, which helped him, you know, a lot. But his wife, you know, who was always with him, got sick while, you know, he was in the hospital. He ended up going for an LVAD, you know, a left ventricular device. And while he was recovering from that, his wife, you know, had a bowel, you know, ischemic bowel and became unconscious. And she was on another unit. And the day before, she had asked the patient relation person if I could come give her Reiki too. So the next day I came, she was on her way to the OR very lethargic. So I gave her Reiki all the way down the elevator, all the way right before she went. And I thought, she's not going to remember this. 
saw her four days later. Yes, she did. She said, this is why she got through it. She knew I was at her side. She knew I was going to be at her husband's side right after. And this is what got her through it. And she remembers me being there and talking. So sometimes if a patient is lethargic, they could hear. You really made a difference for her. Right. And then I had a patient who was, you know, who we did CPR on, who told me he could feel us doing CPR. And he told me his experience of going, you know, of losing it, going through a tunnel and coming back and people were pounding on his chest. What you've you've alluded to this a lot, but are there is there anything specific you would change about the profession? Uh, anything I could change? Hmm. That's a hard question. Um, I feel you know. Let me say this: the profession gave me, even though there were times when I wanted to change and get out of it, it gave me a good career. It gave me a good life, and it gave me a good retirement. But what would I change about the profession? When I see these people going to their nurse practitioner who have no nursing experience, I would insist that they spend at least three years as a bedside nurse before they do that. To those of us out there who have long careers ahead of us, me specifically, I think I counted yesterday, I have something like 33 years before I can retire. Um, I shouldn't count. That's not good. It's not, it's not good. (laughs) No, it'll go fast. Believe me. (laughs) Okay. Um, what pearls of wisdom do you have for those of us who have a long time before we can retire? Yourself first, (laughs) take care of yourself first, because if you take, you don't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of others? Always, um, support each other. You know, your coworkers are your most important people. Um, As a Reiki practitioner, one thing I was doing was offering Reiki treatments to the staff, and that's the physicians, the nurses, and, um, you know, the visitors. And to me, I, you know, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy, some of them. I said, no, you got to sit down for five minutes and take a deep breath. And this can help you. That is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to your wonderful Reiki work in the hospital and the community, it's so great to hear you're, you're so active with that. What else do you plan to do in your retirement? Well, my husband and I travel. You know, we're in a walking club called the American Folks Walk Club, and we travel to different areas of the country and do walks in different towns. You know, most towns, if you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, you know, go visit. You know, there's small towns here, small town USA. Some of them are, you know, big towns. Um, You know, I'm also a very avid Laura Ingalls Wilder fan. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. You know, she's the one that wrote the Little House books. Oh, yeah. The one that the TV show is based on. So I go to all kinds of conventions and activities with that. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, and, and in those places like Mansfield, Missouri, Smith, South Dakota, they're not hotspot vacation places, unless you're a Laura fan. <laughs> but I also, yeah, but I also um, do a lot of Reiki activities. You know, like I go um, to all kinds of, um, you know, I participate in a lot of community, you know, Reiki clinics. I participate in a Reiki clinic in New York City. I'm hoping, you know, one of my goals right now is I'm working on 
getting my Reiki mastership so that I could teach. And one thing I'm thinking of doing is initiating nurses in different hospitals here to become Reiki practitioners so that they could use the Reiki on their patients the way I did. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Head to Toe listeners? My biggest thing is take care of yourself. Yourself first. That's, you know, one of my big things. Have a life outside of work. It is hard. It's hard to say, but, you know, like I told one of my, um, you know, best coworker friends, you know, the one that made my retirement party. She's about 10 years younger than me. You know, um, her kids are grown and we've been doing walks together. And she started something, you know, with nurse unit, you know, caring for people on the unit, staff, you know, management and staff happiness. So she's, you know, made it very happy on the unit. Another thing I will say that I was in charge of, you know, one of my highlights, I forgot to put this, uh, on working on the CCU is I was in charge of the bereavement program there that was started by a very good friend of mine back in the early millennium, I think 2001, 2002. And when somebody died on our unit, we, um, you know, put them in this on the calendar like in two weeks, we would send a card from the unit. Then, you know, a standard card. In eight weeks, I'd make a phone call to see how they're doing. Oh, wow. And I'd have guidelines with that. Then in about, you know, six months, you know, actually in four weeks, I'd send them a packet of all kinds of letters and all kinds of supports, what to do on the holidays, you know, um, cherishing the memories of the loved one physical aspects and emotional aspects and then six months we'd write a letter a year we'd write another letter and then um in three weeks we'd send a questionnaire and you know it was always most most of it i think maybe one out of 99 it was always very positive you know results that is a wonderful program. Yeah, so that was one of my highlights, and I did it the last you know, five years I was there. I love that. I love that idea. Was that um, something you made up, or was that something that you had found another no, unit was actually, doing? I, no, I took over that. Um, my friend Mary, who, um, you know, she retired about seven years before me, she, she did it. She went to an NTI and learned about it at an NTI. And started it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Eileen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with me about your career. I loved hearing everything you had to say. Well, I appreciate this, too. And this was a great, you know, opportunity to talk about this. And I really enjoyed this. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on your retirement and best of luck in this next phase of your life. It is well-deserved. And yeah, just congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Very and welcome. I I do have a website if people want to, you know, get in touch with me. You know, it's www.reikiwitheileenanderson.com. Well, I will make sure that our listeners have access to that. And yeah. Well, Eileen, it has been such a pleasure speaking nope, with you no today. Problem. That'll I... be great. Looking forward to it. And it was great talking with you. 
And there you have it. Thank you very much for listening to this career profile episode of Head to Toe, Stories from the History and Future of Healthcare. Thank you, listeners. In case you haven't already, please click subscribe so you get to be the first people to hear that there is a new Head to Toe episode. Follow me on Facebook if you haven't already. There's some fun shenanigans going on there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Feel free to email me with any sort of feedback or suggestions for future shows at macmillanpages at gmail.com. And the rest of my info can be found on my website, mariemacmillan.com. There you can get on my newsletter and find out other cool things. All the podcast episodes are there. I do try to update my blog once in a while. Anyway, check it out. Thank you to Wesley Price for today's podcast music. Find him on SoundCloud and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for a lot more Head to Toe to come in March, April, May of 2018. That's all. Thanks, guys. Till next time. See ya.